Hi, and welcome to the BCP and Me, a podcast about the Book of Common Prayer and where it fits into our lives as Christians. My name is Father Tyler Richards, the rector of St. Anne's Episcopal Church in De Pere, Wisconsin, and I am joined here by my co-host, Father Joshua Nelson. Uh, technically, it's good afternoon, Father. How are you? It is good afternoon in both Eastern and Central time. <laughs> both Eastern and Central time zones. We are two priests that are separated by time zones uh, because... Joshua is currently in Circleville, Ohio, and here I am not far from the sacred lands of the Green Bay Packers in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, how's everything in Ohio? Warmer than everything is in Green Bay. That's generally the way of it, generally a rule of thumb that it's going to be warmer anywhere else in the world except Green Bay. Um, unless you're talking about international falls and then it's always cold there. Mm -hmm. So what brings us today is uh, getting to know you, not to go all King and I, but uh, getting to introduce each other to the world and, and getting to talk about our own story with, with the Book of Common Prayer and with the Episcopal Church. So I thought I would let you lead off with that and tell us everything that we wanted to know, but we're too afraid to ask. Well, I don't know if we have that kind of time or uh, if that would necessarily be safe. Um, but uh, as Father Tyler said, I'm Father Joshua Nelson. Um, and uh, both of us have similar stories, so there, you're going to hear a little bit of overlap, but um, I was not born in the Episcopal Church. I'm now serving in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I actually grew up kind of as a mutt. Um, much of my childhood was spent in the Church of God, uh, Cleveland Assembly, if that means anything to anybody. Um, in at other times, attending Church of the Nazarene or uh, the Church of Christ, where my grandfather was a pastor. Um, and so it was kind of always, always in church, different kinds of churches, um, spent many a summer going to two or even three different church camps. Um, you know, one of those kids, like I was a pastor's grandkid and, uh, was always, always at church. And knew that I wanted to do something with the church. So when the time came, like every Church of God kid, especially those in Ohio, I went to Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is a Church of God institution, um, and was fully committed to spending the rest of my life in the Church of God. Um, but as anybody who's gone to college will know, college changes you in a great many ways. In my sophomore year, uh, I was approached by a professor who asked me to come and sing in her choir at the little Episcopal church across the street. And I was scared of it at first because I thought Episcopal was like Catholic and in my upbringing, that was Fair Bolton. Um, 
For those of us who don't speak German, do you want to say what that actually means? For, forbidden. Uh, <laughs> you stay as far away from the Catholics as possible. Um, but I thought it was a pretty church, and I always wanted to see the inside of it. So I told the professor I would, you know, come on one Sunday and just visit, and and then let her know. And uh, you know, I was raised Pentecostal. We had revivals twice a year, um, speaking in tongues, uh, stories of my great-grandfather running the tops of the pews during worship, like full-on Pentecostal, baptized at the age of seven um, by full immersion in a big hot tub. And my first Sunday at this little Episcopal church was the first Sunday in Lent, which is very stark and very different from anything that I had ever experienced before in my life. And I fell in love with it and uh, went up to the professor after mass and said, what time is choir on Wednesday? Um, So that's kind of where I I made my swap into the Episcopal church, Um, came home that summer and started attending a little church here in Circleville called St. Philip's, where I I still get to do a lot of ministry um, right now. And, um, you know, didn't really, really look back. And so I guess that's where I am, um, kind of my story and coming to the Episcopal Church. Um, As I said, that Catholic bent was always forbidden, growing up and was really scary and then I ended up teaching at a Catholic high school before becoming a priest so all that fear is gone <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's probably cheating a little bit to ask you to ask one priest asking another priest how you interface with the book of common prayer in your daily life but I'm going to ask you anyway well, the nice, clean seminarian answer is that I do morning prayer and evening prayer every day, and that's absolutely not true at the moment. Um, <laughs> it went pretty well before COVID hit, uh, and and then uh, kind of went away. Um, but outside of COVID tide, um, did try to do morning prayer every day at least, often Compline or some kind of Ignatian review with myself in the evening. Um, That's kind of in the daily life. Um, But then at times of crisis of faith, uh, crisis of... um, Life, I've turned to the BCP, to the Book of Common Prayer, particularly um, to the litany, the great litany, and uh, to service of reconciliation and to uh, the burial rite, actually. Um, I'm sure we'll get this will come out at some point in our later podcasts, but my family's gone through a lot of, just in the last 16 months, a lot of death in her family. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
just sitting and reading through the burial rite brings comfort um, in a way I never thought it would. Which isn't really a feeling that a lot of people have about the burial rite. Uh, a lot of people know that it's in there, but it's one of those things that, you know, they have the pages paper clipped together because they just want to avoid it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's true for a lot of people with sections of the Book of Common Prayer, but it's, it's, it's really inspiring to hear you say that, you know, it's something that you found a way to find comfort in. Well, and I... I'm very thankful I have a copy. I have my primnal. So it's my book of common prayer and hymnal all in one bound book. Um, and being a musician, uh, the hymns are a place that I always turn and um, the sun collects and uh, the um, like Magnificat and the Nunc Dimittis. And I can read them and I can pray them spoken but when I turn to it sung, um, it does something more for me, mm -hmm. I think, than, um, than just the spoken word. Mm -hmm. So what about your story, Father Tyler? Oh, what about my story? Uh, I guess fair's fair, and I get to rattle all of my skeletons out of the closet, too. Um, so as... Uh, as Father Joshua was saying, my own story is similar to his, um, only I grew up in the Baptist uh, strain, sect, part, uh, portion of our faith, which every one of those appeals the most to you. Please use that one. Um, I was actually born into a family that was part of a denomination that to this day I still don't understand very well called the Primitive Baptist Church. They were distinctly not Pentecostal, but hearing you describe your Pentecostal experience, I think they were more Pentecostal than they knew that they were. Um, because I would hear stories of, of relatives running pews and, and doing things like that. There was never any speaking in tongues, but uh, some of the preaching that I heard growing up, I often wondered if they were, in fact, preaching in tongues. Um, it was uh, it was definitely an interesting tradition to grow up in. Uh, lots of friends of our family are still members of that of that denomination back home in Alabama. Um, anyway, uh, my grandfather was a deacon in that church, and when he died, we all became missionary Southern Baptists, and uh, we were part of that church for rather a long time. Um, I think it was after the death of my grandmother, probably a little before, um, that I actually left that denomination because it no longer lined up with my own theological understandings of who God was and, and how God interacted with God's people. And, and uh, I was at a period in life where I needed more stability and more surety, and I was actually looking for something a little more uh, settled in terms of a faith expression. Um, for those who are unfamiliar, um, the Southern Baptist Church doesn't really have a well-defined order of service. Um, there's not a well-defined liturgy, to be fair. 
um, everything is kind of mutable. You know, you could have a song and then somebody would pray and then you could have four more songs and somebody would pray some more and then you would have a sermon and then a song and an altar call and probably another song and a testimony service and you just never knew what was coming. And for me, that just didn't fit my life. That didn't fit my, what I needed. Um, and so I, I think it's, I think it's fair to also say that we both come out of traditions where a sermon by definition could easily slip into a hostage situation. Well, I wasn't going to say all that, but yes, that's definitely the case. Um, Just that in in saying a a big focus in the services growing up mm. was not necessarily on the music or on the prayers. It was on the sermon. Well, and, and, and to be perhaps even more fair, there was a performative piece to the sermon that you know, that a lot of people looked to is probably the central aspect of their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they would ever say that, um, but we all know all 18 verses to just as I am and um, and uh, the old rugged cross and amazing grace and those old great, you know, Baptist, Pentecostal, definitely Protestant hymns um, that Father Joshua and I came up with. Um, but the sermon itself, I don't know how it was for you, but it always felt like sort of the pivot that the entire service turned on. Um, that's where a lot of theology, overt theology, got communicated. That's where overt attitudes and thinking got communicated. And I think it was interfacing with sermons and interfacing with the people who were giving those sermons actually caused me to start questioning some of my own theology. Um, And uh, through that questioning, I left that church and took up with uh, the United Methodist Church, um, conveniently, because that's where my girlfriend was going to church at the time. And uh, I never dissuade anybody from going to church because that's where your significant other is. It's a great way to meet people and maybe a great way to end up in a church. And uh, as relationships go, uh, ours went the way of the dodo, and I had to find another church because I had joined up with her church. And to keep the peace, it was better that some Johnny come lately move on. Mm-hmm. I still love the Methodist church. I still think it's a beautiful denomination. Um, And so uh, some friends of mine, this was when I was in junior college, uh, said, well, why don't you come with us to the Episcopal Church? And I was concerned it was something you could catch, and I wasn't really sure. Um, And it turns out it's a virulent strain of Christianity that finds its way into your life and grabs a hold of you and doesn't let go. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. My first Sunday in an Episcopal church, I ended up in a pew by myself uh, after assurances that my friends would be able to sit with me and guide me through the use of the Book of Common Prayer and the uh, the 1982 hymnal. Both are required texts for worship in the Episcopal church, um, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I had the trouble that most newcomers have of, I've got 
I've got a prayer book in one hand and a hymnal in the other. And it's just, you know, it's not like when you have a, a handy one volume text where you can just flip, you've got to balance two books. And I got real fed up with that really quick. And I threw all the books down and I just started listening and the cadence of the liturgy, the cadence of the preaching that was actual coherent preaching that I could understand and get something out of um, was something that felt deeply comforting to this primitive Baptist boy who was never going to be anything that resembled Catholic. I laugh at that part of myself now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I experienced the Eucharist for the first time that Sunday because I was baptized and it was appropriate that I received communion as a baptized Christian. And uh, so I went forward and received and it was a palpable um, spiritual experience for me. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's home now. Um, and that was, gosh, uh, shock and alarm. That was been 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, mm-hmm. feels like yesterday. <laughs> so that's, that's some of the ways that I, you know, the mainstream of how I came into being where I am today. Well, how does the the Book of Common Prayer play a part in your daily life now? Well, again, uh, you've already given the really pretty seminary, I'm talking to my bishop talk of, yes, I always pray the office day and night, (laughs) noonday prayer, and Compline is very near and dear to my heart, and and yes, I always complete my Ignatian uh, examination of conscience and all of that stuff, and it would be great if all of those things were true. And if any bishops are listening to this, that is the story we're sticking to. The story that we're sticking to. <laughs> Bishop Gunter, feel free to forward past this part. Um, <laughs> I I do I do earnestly endeavor to get in one office a day, um, even if it's just the little devotions for individuals and families. Mm-hmm. Uh, speed read version of the office. I do earnestly try to do that. Um, I. Um, interface with the text a lot because the world that we live in, the prayers that are in the back are sometimes helpful to provide to a congregation or to provide to friends who aren't necessarily Episcopalian, but find the language of our prayer book deeply compelling. Um, uh, I know a lot of the hymns, but I'm probably not as deeply rooted in hymnody as Father Joshua is. I love our hymnody. I just, you know, it's not where I go. Um, I have an English degree, and so the text is what draws me in. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I do interact with it on a, a, I would say probably seventy percent of the days I, I interact with it. But then there's a whole host of other um, devotional manuals that we have in the church that I interact with, and and. Um, other devotional materials that I interact with as part of the larger life of Christianity. So it's, it's there. It's definitely a part of my DNA. Um, But, you know, uh, I probably don't pick it up and, and, and actually hold it in my hand as often as end up praying a lot of the prayers straight out of my head. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the wonderful things about the Book of Common Prayer is that 
I know a lot, a lot of people, especially if they've not um, been part of the Episcopal Church or part of a non-denomination, the idea of rote prayers um, is very foreign and sometimes hard to engage with. But having those formulas, I should say, uh, it's very, it's almost like doing chemistry, having those formulas that you can keep coming back to mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, you end up having this prayer stuck in your head or you have the Psalms because you're praying them every day mm-hmm. stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I remember I had about went for a hike in seminary. It was gone for like an hour and I just had three Psalms that kept going over and over and over in my head. Mm-hmm. And because I had spent time with them, and that's what what this this kind of does for us. And it, it's so, true, you know the the BCP exists within us in a, a way that that sort of we are constantly interacting with, it, and maybe interacting with the text more than we give ourselves credit for, mm-hmm. because of the exact reasons that you've just named. I mean, if I if I say to you the phrase. Guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping. That you awake we probably, may wash with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. You know, and if I said to you, um, there is, uh, I mean, you know, the call and response is there, and it and it lives within us. And one of the shows that Father Joshua and I will probably reference a lot is called The Midwife. And it was something, you know, it's it's a show that I interact with because the nuns who are at the center of that show are, are Anglican Church of England nuns. And um, they are interacting with a different part of our faith, but it's still that same sort of prayer book, Church of England kind of faith. And one of the characters of the show, Sister Monica Joan, who... If you're not familiar with Call the Midwife, pause this, come back to us later, go and watch every episode of Call the Midwife because you want to binge it, and then come back and we can talk all about it. But one of the nuns in the order of St. Raymond Nanatus, Sister Monica Joan, probably one of the oldest nuns in in this order, says that um, the liturgy is of comfort to the disarrayed mind. We need not choose our thoughts. The words are aligned like a rope for us to cling to. Mm-hmm. And there are so many parts of our liturgy, so many parts of our prayer book that are like that for us, that we can just reach out and grab a hold of, and then suddenly we're pulling ourselves along with sort of a mimed rope, and it helps us find the way forward. And I've, I've always found great comfort in that. Mm-hmm. Which, go ahead. I was going to say, so uh, this is kind of our, our introductory first episode. What is this podcast that you've roped me into? <laughs> Kicking and screaming, as I can tell. Oh, yeah. The idea of the BCP and me is not just Father Joshua and I prattling on about some topic that is near and dear to our hearts. That doesn't have to be the Book of Common Prayer. We can do that on our own about just about anything. But and we do. And, and we do. <laughs> ad, ad nauseum sometimes. Um, but 
The idea of this podcast is, of course, that we're looking at this text called the Book of Common Prayer. If you don't know what it is, you can Google that, and actually we can provide some some resources on how you can access digital copies of this text. But it's to think to get us thinking about this worship text in a way that makes us understand that it's more about just than Sunday morning, mm-hmm. right? That there there is stuff in there for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And there are parts of our text that are designed to only be prayed on those days. And help us understand um, that the text that we hold near and dear to our hearts as Episcopalians is more than just a worship text. It's a devotional text, right? It's a text that we live our lives out in and live our lives through. Um, that's, that's one of the main parts of this for me. Um, and asking ourselves the question, what does the book say to us on a daily basis? How does this book guide the shape of our lives? And how do you use the darn thing? Um, all questions that I think we'll, we'll answer in the next however many weeks or months or years we're at this. Um, what, what, what do you hope to come out of this, Father? Well, I think it's coming at a really good time. We are moving in, really, we are moving into year two of COVID tide, right? Mm, right. So uh, we all kind of got through uh, Ash Wednesday and a couple Sundays into Lent last year, and then the world shut down. Um, and we've kind of been living in different levels of that, but we've been living in that for 12 months now almost 12 months now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this realization that with the book of common prayer being this daily devotional thing, this daily thing that you can engage with and help you to engage with God is your church on the go. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um because that was one of the hardest things for the laity and for the clergy as well. When we first came into, you know, the pandemic was I miss the Eucharist. I miss being with people. I miss my building. Um, And the book of common prayer is something that connects on one level connects all Episcopalians on another level connects everyone within the Anglican communion. And even if they don't realize it connects all Christians, there are parts of the book of common prayer that have made their way into mainstream media. Uh, I think of the marriage, right. Um, that I could read some of the traditional text of the marriage, right. And you could finish it for me. That comes straight out of the book of common prayer. Because you've all seen, you know, three, four weddings and a funeral or whatever it is. Um, but it, it's within our common life. Mm. Well, and I think what you're what you're getting at there is us saying, you know, four weddings and a funeral. Um, 
I think people would be surprised to see how closely their lives have brushed up against the Book of Common Prayer and how closely mm-hmm. their lives have brushed up against the Episcopal Church if they're not already members. Lots of churches that serve as movie sets for um, for uh, movies that are set in churches, those churches are Episcopal churches. Yeah. So you have probably seen at least one Episcopal church in your life. Mm-hmm. And you have probably heard parts of an Episcopal or an Anglican liturgy at one stage or another in your life. There is nobody in the world who hasn't heard the name Bishop Michael Curry. And one of the reasons that Bishop Curry has enjoyed such prominence isn't just because of his... his um, message of the way of love, but also because he was the preacher at Harry and Meghan's wedding. That liturgy that exists inside the context of a royal wedding is a liturgy that is very similar to what's found in our Book of Common Prayer. Um, That liturgy is older than our Book of Common Prayer, if they use the traditional 1662 language, Um, but it's still part of the same set of DNA. It's just cousins. We're two churches separated by common language. Um, mm-hmm. Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> and, I, yeah. I think, I, and I think that your other point is well taken, that we are in year two of this, and that our churches have moved online, and we are seeing more of digital, um, digital interaction between us and our faith communities. Um. So some of the nitty-gritty day-to-day stuff that might have been handled in Christian ed classes that met in person or Curcio groups or what have you, prayer circles, some of Sunday that school. Say again? Sunday school. Sunday school. We are having to figure out on our own. And because the Book of Common Prayer is the principal worship text of the Episcopal Church, we need to be more familiar with its anatomy, with the way that it, the way that it moves in the wild. If I can take a leaf from David Attenborough's book, um, you know, uh, not that your prayer book is perched on your shelf, ready to jump out at you and devour you, but keep a close eye on it because it just might. Mm-hmm. You might actually find yourself falling in between the pages of that book and not being able to come come out again the same way. Which I think is the way that we should encounter the text. It should change us. Well, and there's there's a long running joke among Episcopalians of um, listening to another denomination read out of the Bible and being surprised how much of the Book of Common Prayer was in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the framers of this text took scripture and broke it down really kind of into bite-sized pieces Mm. uh, that you don't necessarily get to experience in other places. And that's such a wonderful thing. And I think that's one of our hopes with this podcast. And I hope it it extends out and is, is this long running thing because this isn't something that you just start biting away at and you know there's the phrase about scripture and and even 
put into the context of the Book of Common Prayer to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. And you don't want to take too big of a bite. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're breaking it down and looking at each little section and, and living with it for a little bit, um, letting it seep in and really feed us. And I don't think there's any way possible that we will come out of this. Tyler, either Father Tyler, either you or I or anybody that's listening will come out of this the same as we entered into it. Well, I hope not. I mean, I hope we're not here just spinning our wheels saying, well, we have all of this free time during during Corona Tide to, to put together a podcast. Uh, I personally do not have a whole lot of time to spin my wheels. Uh, but it gives us, as the hosts of this, a chance to explore this maybe with a fresh set of eyes. And it helps us to help other people to encounter it. And maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, maybe there's some, you know, Episcopalian who is, you know, 98 years old, who has never seen the rite of reconciliation. Maybe there's some, you know, Episcopalian who stumbled into a church six months ago or a year ago, let's be fair, a year ago, and picked it up and turned to the great litany and said, what in the world is this? And actually being able to sort of crunch this down into its into its smallest bits and bobs that, that are possible so that we can get more out of the text. And to be fair, while Father Joshua is brilliant in his own right, and I have my own niche uh, passions and, and things that I follow in terms of our of our life in the church, we are going to be somewhat standing on the shoulders of giants to do this work. Uh, Personally, I am going to be drawing on a lot of different sources. Um, The Reverend Dr. Julia Gata, who is our pastoral theology professor at uh, the School of Theology in Swanee, has written widely on the Book of Common Prayer Scott Gunn, also known as the pamphlet czar for the Episcopal Church, has written a book on the Book of Common Prayer. Mary and Hatchet of lore and of legend wrote a commentary on the Book of Common Prayer. And Derek Olson um, also wrote a book on the Common Prayer. There are so many rich sources out there that we're going to be drawing on to look at this text to help us understand it. And so, Right off the bat, before anybody accuses us of plagiarizing anything, please understand that a lot of a lot of my information, not just from personal experience, but will also be coming from these great minds who have written so much rich literature about this book that we encounter Christ through. And and this isn't like a a, a book review or anything like that. This it really is this podcast. I hope really is a journey for us. Mm. And this journey through the Book of Common Prayer with the Book of Common Prayer um, and inviting the listeners to go with us. Which we hope you will. We hope that you'll come with us and interact 
with what we're saying. Eventually, we'll have hopefully a website and a way you can send us your uh, your letters, both uh, happy and probably angry from time to time, uh, so that we can interact with you and, and know how you interact with this text. That's something that we want to do as we go forward with this. Um, but I think we've reached a point where uh, we can go ahead and tease the next episode, um, which as I open my book of common prayer, which it feels like I'm never more than six feet away from, the first topic that we come to in the book of common prayer after we get past the preface and after we get past the ratification of the Book of Common Prayer and concerning the service of the church, which we can talk about relatively quick, quickly, is the calendar of the church year. So the next time we get together, we'll talk about why it is that we have a calendar of the church year, what it is there to do, what it is there to welcome us into, and all of the nuggets and... Um, wonders that exist in marking liturgical time. Um, That is what we're going to dive into the next time we are here gathered together. But before we go, um, we thought that in our time together, we might make it a point to, as a way to close out our time together, uh, talking about the BCP and me, is to pray the collect um, for the first book of common prayer. So, Father Joshua, could you guide us in that prayer, please? Absolutely. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, whose servant Thomas Cranmer, with others, restored the language of the people in the prayers of your church, Make us always thankful for this heritage and help us so to pray in the spirit and with the understanding that we may worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And amen. Well, Father, thank you for joining me here today for a brief discussion about this tradition. I look forward to going on this trip with you. Same thing. Um, I'll bring the snacks. (laughs) Brew your own coffee, though. You'll have to figure that out for yourself. Yeah, I know. You don't share coffee well. I don't share coffee (laughs) well. Thank you so much for joining us for this introductory episode of the BCP and me. Uh, We look forward to going on this journey with you. Uh, So may the peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you.